Let us pray. Father, thank you for the Exodus story, for covenant fulfillment, for rescue, for salvation. Father, thank you that these promises are for us also. In bringing our prayers of intercession, we recognize that our world is held in the grip of sin. We see the effects everywhere. We bring before you the political impasse in our own land. We bring before you the global political uncertainties which challenge our confidence and unsettle us. We bring before you the many appalling conflicts across our broken world, remembering particularly the dreadful attack in Mogadishu just today. Father, we pray for your intervention, that you would pour out your gifts of grace into each situation. We pray for wisdom, for tolerance, and for peace. We praise you that your covenant promise of the rescuer has been wonderfully and completely fulfilled in the work and person of the Lord Jesus. So we also pray in each of these situations that there will be a salvation encounter with the one who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Closer to home, Father, we commit into your care our own congregation. We think of those starting school, those who've recently received exam results, those going to university, and those transitioning into the workplace. Like Shipra and Pua from the Exodus story, help them, most of all, first and foremost, to be your witnesses in the world. As the new church season commences, please bless our, work, our week of prayer. We also ask that the upcoming open day service will bless all those who come, and that through it, many will come to know Jesus and share his love. Father, we bring all of these prayers in the name of the great rescuer, the Lord Jesus, because we know that he is able and he can do it. Praying in his name. Amen. The reading tonight is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll be looking at the first 12 verses. So that's on page 1151. It's entitled, Warnings from Israel's History. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the, in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred 
as examples, to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did. And they were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. So, Exodus and us. If you weren't in the service this morning, you might be a little bit confused. Um, we're looking through Exodus over the next three months here in church, both morning and evening. But what we'll be doing is mainly in the mornings following through the main kind of episodes in the story. And in the evening, we'll, we'll take an opportunity sometimes to fill in some parts of the story that we might otherwise have to overlook. But, some, but most of the time, we'll be taking the opportunity to draw out something sort of deeper or to consider something that's come up in the morning passage and, and think about that more together. So that's what we're doing tonight. I suppose tonight is, if you like, a bit of a setup, an introduction one. Uh, we're going to be thinking about how the, the story of Exodus relates to us as Christians today. And I'm hoping that that will help us to appreciate the whole series right from the get-go. And it's worth saying, um, we'll, we'll be making sure that everything in the mornings will be kind of understandable and make sense, even if you can't ever get to an evening service. And I'm sure some of you here tonight won't necessarily be able to get to every evening service, but I hope you'll maybe be able to catch up online if you, if you want to. The other thing just to say is if you weren't in the morning service, you might not have picked up one of these little yellow sheets. Um, this has just got a reading plan to help you to follow through the book of Exodus with us as we preach through it on, a, on Sundays uh, over the next three weeks. Uh, so it's all broken down into quite manageable chunks, uh, just small, small chunks most of the day. Some, weeks, some days there's a kind of a whole chapter, but it's the kind of stuff where you want to be kind of going through at a reasonable pace. Um, but that will really help you, I think, if you want to do that, to, to get the most out of this sort of almost immersive Exodus experience uh, over the next three months. So if you didn't get one of those, I'm sure we can find some lying around from this morning, or we can print some more off if you would like one of those. Have a chat to me. Well, shall we pray as we come to think about how the Exodus is God's word for us today? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we can come to you in the joy of our salvation as your redeemed, restored uh, people. And Father, we pray just now as we consider the whole book of Exodus almost and attempt to, to understand uh, how it might instruct us, uh, your people, upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. We pray that you would give us much wisdom, much grace, uh, that you might help us to share more deeply and more fully in the wonderful salvation you have provided for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, here in Northern Ireland, many of us are very good at telling stories. Um, I'm not particularly good at telling stories, but many of you guys are anyway. Um, and we tell a lot of stories, don't we? And a lot of the stories that we tell are about the past. 
But of course, when we're telling stories about the past, we're not just telling it for historical interest. We're telling those stories about the past because they shape our identity today. And we all know that here. Um, tell stories about the Schenkel Road butchers. Trevor Morrow tells stories about that meeting he had with the IRA leadership when they were considering whether to make peace. We tell those stories because we want to shape how we see ourselves and our lives today. And the Exodus is that kind of a story. It's a story that wants to be retold and remembered and to leave an imprint in the lives of God's people for generation after generation. Even before the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, there's a whole chapter in Exodus all about how to celebrate the Passover, how to remember that night when the angel of the Lord passed over Egypt and the Israelites were able to escape from Pharaoh's clutches. There's a whole chapter just saying, here's how you're going to remember this every year from now on. And when your son asks you, that chapter says, what does this mean? You don't just say, once upon a time, your great-great-grandfather was a slave in Egypt. No, here's what you say according to Exodus. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Do you see what's going on there? This, isn't, this Exodus story isn't just something that's going to be history for the Lord's people. In every generation, they're going to say to each other, the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. This is our story for generation after generation. And so the Exodus doesn't want us to see it as a piece of history, but as a story that really shapes the, the identity of God's people for generation after generation. And that's how the book of Exodus is to shape us too. It's our story as well. We heard in our reading from 1 Corinthians that all these things in the Exodus took place as examples for us. And verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. In a very real sense, all of the Exodus was really all happened so that it could shape us and our identity as God's people. Despite all the differences between their experience and ours, at a fundamental level, it was actually the same. Verse 4, they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. Remember the rock that gushes out water. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So probably none of us have drunk water gushing from a rock that's just been struck by a stick, but we do all share in the life-giving uh, uh, water that comes from Christ. So there's this fundamental unity between their story and our story. Um, the authors of a recent book that traces the theme of the Exodus all the way through Scripture, they declare at the start of their book, we are Exodus people. And I think you could go further than that. I think you could say, if we're not Exodus Christians, I don't think we're really New Testament Christians at all. That's how fundamental the Exodus story is to, to understanding the New Testament. Now, I'm not saying, of course, that you need to have an in-depth knowledge of Exodus in order to be a Christian, um, because most of us probably know these sort of things at some level already. That's how fundamental they are to, to understanding salvation. But what I'm hoping for and what I'm really excited about as we look at Exodus over the next few months is that this will help us to understand these fundamental things at a much deeper level. This is almost like burying into the foundations, if you like, of our story, to really see the bedrock to understand 
what it is about God and what it is about our salvation that the Lord sort of lays down for us here in Exodus that the rest of the Bible builds on. And so the aim of this sermon is really to just give us a sense of how we can begin to remember the Exodus and to see how it is our story. So to do that, I'm going to try and give you fairly briefly the big picture of the whole story and then draw out two big things that will help us to connect it to us over the next few months. So the Exodus, what, what is it? What's it all about? It's about a way out. Literally, Exodus in Greek means uh, exit, a way out. And that's a, that's a Greek title for a Hebrew book, but it's a good summary of what the Exodus is all about. It's about leaving Egypt, or we could say leaving an evil or a godless world. And so it's about salvation. It's about salvation from slavery. We saw that this morning. And in coming weeks, we'll see it's also about uh, salvation from, from death and from sin. When that angel of the Lord passes over all the households in Egypt, everyone faces death. Unless you've been made holy by your Passover lamb and sprinkled its blood on your doorposts. And so the Exodus is all about salvation from slavery and death and sin. But it's also about salvation for something. And this is maybe even more important. And we can get a glimpse of this by looking at the overall shape of the book. And it's reasonably simple. Um, The first 15 chapters, you could say, are all about how God rescues his people. And these are the chapters we're fairly familiar with. Um, This is where we move from slavery in Egypt all the way through to the crossing of the Red Sea. And then in in chapters 16 to 24, uh, we enter the wilderness period where God begins to test his people, to try and teach them to trust him more. And that all culminates in in this covenant that gets made at Sinai in chapter 24. And then um, the book starts to look ahead to the time when the Israelites are going to leave Sinai. And now God reveals his plan to travel with his people and to see what that is going to mean. And so that's the, that, you could call those chapters God resides. So God rescues, God rules, and God resides. So you can see already, salvation in Exodus, the kind of the way out in Exodus, is much more than just freedom from slavery. It's about living God's way, and it's about being free to have fellowship with God. Salvation is about God's rescue and his rule and his residing with us, his residence with us. Okay, so that's a, that's a kind of a, a very brief overview. Let's just get this a little bit sharper. Um, I've got three quotes here now uh, that are all spoken by God himself. And they're from each of the three sections of the book. So I'm just going to read through these, and I'm not going to comment on them. I'm just going to read through them, and then we'll, we'll make a couple of comments. So firstly, from the first section, God rescues. Exodus 6, verse 7. The Lord says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. All right, let's move to the next section. Here's a quote from the God rules section. The people have gathered around Sinai now. Exodus 19. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, Then, out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, 
You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And then from the final section, at God resides, Exodus 29. The Lord says, Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. I wonder if you can see what's happening. That's probably a flurry of quotes, but hopefully they're all making roughly the same sort of a point. Through this salvation, the Lord wants to say to his people so loudly and so clearly, I am the Lord your God. You're no longer rootless immigrant slaves toiling away in Egypt. You are my people, my treasured possession. I am yours and you are mine. I'm going to come and even live with you. And every time the Exodus story is retold, every Passover meal, God reminds his people of this, that their true identity is, if you like, found in him. They are his people, and he is their God. These are people who have been saved by God to be his treasured possession. And they are people who have been saved for God. Through his rescuing, ruling, and residing, God makes, known, makes himself known to the people he has taken for himself. So, it, after that whirlwind tour of the message of Exodus, here's how I'd kind of boil it down in a sentence at the minute. That, this may change over the next few months. Uh, Exodus is about God making himself known by saving his people for himself. And that's a story that's going to reshape our identity. So, how does all of that then apply to us? Well, we've already had this verse tonight from Andrea. Have a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Here's what Peter says to Christians, not to Jewish people, but to probably Gentile Christians. Here's what he says. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Does that sound familiar? Of course it does. We just heard it, didn't we, in Exodus? When the apostles are wanting to try to describe what's happened to us in the gospel when Jesus has come to save us, the, the categories, the kind of the labels, the images, the language that they want to reach back for is all found in the Exodus. They want to kind of take those labels that God gave his people then and slap them right onto us, you are God's treasured possession now. We've been saved by God for him. And we've been saved for God, Peter says, to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. So our story is really a kind of a repeat of the Exodus story on a, on a, on a bigger scale, really. And that means, turn this round the other way now, that means if we want to know more about our identity as Christians, if we want to kind of tunnel into our identity as Christians, if we want to, want to kind of get back to the roots, if you like, of our identity as Christians, then we can go back to the Exodus story. We can kind of take a hint from Peter and say, okay, you've given us this label, treasured possession of God. So what does that mean? Where does that come from? Oh, it's the Exodus. Okay, let's see what the Exodus has to say about what it means to be God's people today. Well, what does it say? 
Well, I think this, this story of the Exodus is going to shape our identity as God's people in, in two big ways. And so that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time on uh, this evening. Uh, firstly, the Exodus tells us the story of our God. The Exodus is the story of our God. So if you've got a Bible, just turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to draw a couple of things out from Exodus chapter 3. This is a kind of great chapter for kind of seeing almost like the, the big game plan in Exodus. Uh, Moses is herding sheep in the desert, and he sees a strange sight, a burning bush. Now, it's probably not that strange to see a burning bush in the middle of a Middle Eastern desert. What is strange about this sight is that this bush is burning, but it's not burned up. It's not consumed. It's alive even as it's burning. And then from this burning but not burned up bush, the Lord speaks. And he gives his name to Moses. He says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Exodus 3.15. And many of us will know, in Hebrew, that, that, those four, that, that word, the Lord, capitalized in our English Bibles, is four letters in the Hebrew, uh, Y-H-V-H, or sometimes people would say Y-H-W-H, just difference of pronunciation. And God says to Moses, this is the name you're going to call me from now on, from generation to generation, call me this name. Now, funnily enough, we don't use this name anymore. Um, And we might think that's a little bit odd. Um, But actually, we're following the example of of Jesus and the apostles, because whenever they want to refer to this this name given in the Old Testament, given in capital letters, the Lord, in our English Bibles, they just say, the Lord. And so they were happy enough to kind of refer to this name that God gives here in the the burning bush just by using the term, the Lord. And so I'm happy enough to, to follow their lead on that. But what I think is interesting is that you can look at various verses that the Old Testament tells us about what the Lord does, and you can see that in the New Testament, they are applied to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Each of them does things that in the Old Testament we're told the Lord does. So you can see the New Testament, if you like, is kind of like expanding God's name for us. In the Old Testament, you know him as the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, you know him as the Lord, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's the same God. It's still the Lord, but now there is the Lord, who is the Father, the Lord, who is the Son, the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit. One Lord forever. And Exodus is also about the Lord. It's telling us, if you like, another kind of expansion of the Lord's name. But in the Exodus, it's not so much expanding the Lord's name in terms of telling us that there's three persons who are all the Lord. In the Exodus, the expansion is telling us more about the Lord's character. It tells us about this this character that all three persons share. It's going to make known to us who our God is, if you like. Because our God wants to be known forever, from generation to generation, as an Exodus kind of a God. So what will that mean? Well, we've got three months to, to find that out and dig deeper into that. But let me just give two big building blocks uh, to, to, to get in our heads right away. Firstly, the Exodus is going to tell us that the Lord is the source of our salvation. Right at the very beginning of the story, here at the burning bush, 
Have a look at what the Lord says, uh, Exodus 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Exodus is a salvation from God. It's worked by God. And that becomes so clear, doesn't it? As we read the plagues, we'll see over and over again supernatural things, things that even Pharaoh's magicians were not able to do. Uh, Plagues of hailstorms, plagues of locusts, and um, the the passing of the Red Sea, the bread from heaven in the wilderness, all things that tell us over and over again that our God saves. This is a supernatural salvation because salvation is from the Lord. So the the Lord is the source of our salvation, but, but also, just as importantly, the Lord is also the goal of our salvation. So I don't know if you've ever wondered where the burning bush was. It's actually very clear where the burning bush was. Just have a look over at verse 12. God says to Moses, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So where did they worship God? Which mountain did they end up at? They ended up at Mount Sinai. And that's where Moses meets with God at the burning bush, at Mount Sinai. So Exodus, if you like, is really a story about salvation that comes from Sinai, as God kind of plans it all out and sends Moses from Sinai. And then it kind of loops round, and they end up coming back to Sinai. It's a salvation from Sinai for Sinai. It's a salvation from God for God. God's message to Pharaoh is not let my people go so that they can work out their own destiny all by themselves. It's let my people go so they may serve me. And I think the very high point of Exodus is the moment when Moses sees God's glory passing in front of him and the Lord preaches his own name to Moses. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sake of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This is what Exodus wants to press on our hearts. The Lord. The Lord. Now I wonder how much sometimes we're as keen to press that on people's hearts as we could be. Uh, Sometimes I think we're tempted to talk about salvation in all kinds of ways that stress the sort of secondary benefits probably because we're wanting to make things relevant and as appealing as possible to people who sort of don't care about the Lord. Um, I can still remember uh, hearing a talk at kids' camp that was all about how we're going to go surfing down molten lava flows with our resurrected bodies in the new creation, which sounds great, doesn't it? Um, But it's not really an emphasis the Bible uh, gives, as far as I'm aware, for what we're going to be doing in the new creation. Um, 
Jesus, on the night that he died, here's what he said he was, he was, he was wanting to do. He was wanting to give us eternal life, which is that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, who he has sent. That's eternal life. Knowing the Lord, the Lord. And Exodus is going to help us to do that. It's so exciting, isn't it? What a way to start this autumn by getting to know the Lord. Exodus is going to show us that our salvation, it's all about God. It's going to help us to glory in God as we see that it comes from him and it's for him. That is, if we, if we let it, if we take advantage of being able to read through it this autumn and allow it to, to change us. So how could we do that practically? Well, why not, as we're hearing uh, Exodus being preached on Sundays or as we're reading it through by ourselves, why don't we ask ourselves each time, how is the Lord revealing who he is here? How are we seeing God as both the source and the goal of our salvation? Why don't we ask ourselves what kind of religious response the Lord is looking for? Does he want us to fear him, like this morning we saw something of that? Does he want us to trust him? Does he want us to love him? Uh, Does he want us to serve him with worship, religious worship? Or does he want us to obey him in all of our lives? Well, as we ask those questions over the next few months, we will get to know our God, the same Lord who comes to us in the gospel. So, that's the first thing. Uh, Exodus shows us that our salvation is all about God. Second thing that I think Exodus is going to show us and help us to to get more deeply as we read it this autumn is Exodus shows us the story of our salvation. So, come back to Exodus chapter 3 and just have a look at the verses we skipped over. Um, uh, Exodus 3, verse 9. God says... Uh, to Moses, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses understands this doesn't really seem like a job for him. It's surprising for him, and it it probably should be surprising to us. If we've understood what we just saw about this salvation being from God, it's kind of surprising that he now sort of says, I'm going to use this human being, Moses, to do it. Um, But this is part of the kind of the foundation that we need to get our heads around. When God chooses to save, he normally does so through a human intermediary. Moses, if you like, stands between God and the people, working on God's behalf. And later on, we'll see that he also stands between the people and God as he intercedes for the people to God on their behalf. And so, to make it slightly more convenient, we best say that Moses is a mediator. He's somebody God has provided to be a go-between between us and the Lord. And from the very start of Exodus, it's super clear that the power does not lie with Moses. He is outstandingly holy, but in many ways, he's a very weak leader. Uh, This little uh, snippet that we got there in verse 11 gets bigger and bigger just in these verses. He's not even very good at speaking. He's quite a nervous guy. And when he attempts to save people himself, he ends up killing somebody, and his people mock him. And later on, when the people sin, Moses is able to intercede for them. But at one key moment, Moses intercedes, and the people still get struck with a plague. And in fact, we heard about it in our reading um, in 
1 Corinthians, 23,000 of them died. All that is showing is that Moses is not the true mediator. He's only, if you like, a shadowy outline of the real mediator. And what's true of Moses in Exodus is true of lots of other things as well. It's true of the Passover lamb, the bread from heaven, the rock in the wilderness, and so on. And Paul, in our Bible reading, identifies that, in fact, the real source of all these blessings that the people experienced in the Exodus was, in fact, Christ. The rock was Christ. So was the manna, the bread from heaven. So was the Passover lamb. So was Moses. These were all kind of shadows, pictures, uh, ways of bringing the grace of Christ to these people in different forms. Now, they didn't necessarily know this at the time, but we do. And we can't sort of stop knowing it, can we? As we read the Exodus, we're going to bring that knowledge to Exodus. And we're going to continually be clobbered over the head with reminders of the outline of our salvation. We're going to continually see shadows and pictures of Christ. Uh, Just for a change of uh, voice, uh, let me give you one of my personal heroes, uh, the Dublin-born Old Testament scholar, Alec Mateer, uh, became a a Christian because his grandmother uh, read him the Bible while he was sitting on her knee. He went on to be a great Old Testament scholar. He says, think about this. Think of what an Israelite would say on the way to Canaan, having come out of the Red Sea and so forth. Here's what an Israelite would say. If you asked, who are you? He would say, I was in a foreign land under the sentence of death in bondage, but I took shelter under the blood of the Lamb. Our mediator led us out and we crossed over, and now we're on our way to the promised land. We're not there yet, but he's given us his law to make us a community, and he's given us his tabernacle, because you have to live by grace and forgiveness. And his presence is in our midst, and he's going to stay with us until we get home. And Matthias says, this is exactly what the Christian says, almost word for word. So when we notice this, this this deep similarity between the Exodus story and our story, these stories of salvation, we kind of have to ask ourselves, what is the underlying reason for this similarity? Well, Matthias would have said, and I would agree, is that underlying all these uh, links, even with the sort of superficial differences, is that there really is only one way of salvation. Christ is the way of salvation. He's the true mediator in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And now here's a little bit of thinking you have to have. In the, in, in the Bible, mediators always come in the context of a covenant, of a kind of a framework of people relating to God. Whenever you hear mediator talk, that's always going to be going on. There's going to be a covenant. And since there's only one mediator in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that implies that there is also only one covenant, one framework of salvation. And the phrase we use for that is the covenant of grace. Christ is the mediator of the covenant of grace in the Old and New Testaments. Now, of course, when Christ comes, certain things do change. Things that were previously shadowy and vague suddenly become very clear. But certain fundamentals stay absolutely the same. There's one true mediator, one covenant of grace from the foundation of the world, one way of salvation for Israelites and for us. 
So what does this mean then? Well, it means that Exodus is going to show us our salvation in Christ. We don't have to kind of do a whole, oh, this was the Old Testament, so it's all different then kind of thing. We want to come to this expecting that, yes, there's going to be some shadowiness in it, uh, and yes, we're going to want to use the, the New Testament to help us to understand what's going on. But yes, it's going to be basically the same. And part of what makes me so excited about looking at Exodus over the next few months with, with you is that I found whenever I've looked at the Old Testament, I've become, if you like, more, um, more aware of the reality of what it really means to be saved. We use these phrases all the time, don't we? These New Testament phrases, salvation, redemption, the glory of God. And sometimes they can feel quite abstract. But when you read the Exodus, they, they're not abstract at all. They're very, very dramatic and powerful. You know more about what it means to be redeemed from slavery and certain death when you see the Passover and the blood being put on the doorposts of your house. You know more about the awesome glory of the Lord when you're told that he came down on top of Mount Sinai in a consuming fire, and Moses went up to him and disappeared from view. So as we're reading and hearing Exodus over the past few months, why don't we ask ourselves, well, how is this clarified in the New Testament? We need to kind of be clear where this is going. But don't just do that. Also ask, well, how is this Old Testament stuff helping me to see the richness of what the New Testament talks about? Sometimes we take it for granted, don't we? Well, finally, one of the key ways that the New Testament does this, of course, is it takes the idea of the Passover meal, this memorial of the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, and it says, this, do this in remembrance of Christ. As you have this meal, you will remember your salvation. And the apostle said in our reading, in a, well, sorry, we didn't get to this, but in a sense, um, we get to even share in our salvation again. Here's what Paul says. He says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? This story isn't over there somewhere. It's right here as we eat and drink the life-giving body and blood of our Passover lamb. We eat and drink tonight as people whose salvation is from God and for God through the only mediator of the covenant of grace, Jesus Christ the Lord, through whom and with whom be praise and authority to the Father, with the Holy Spirit, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have saved us, and we praise you that your salvation in the Exodus points to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and is fulfilled by him. And so, Lord, we look forward in anticipation to hearing more of what it means to be your people over the coming months. We ask that you would teach us and instruct us and, and deepen our knowledge of you that we might more fully share in salvation even now as we wait our blessed hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.